May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I think it was eight weeks ago today that we heard Jesus say in the gospel reading that all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Pride and humility. And here it comes up again today, four chapters later in the Gospel of Luke, with the parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee stands praying in the temple and says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all my income. Then there's the tax collector, standing far off, we're told, but could not even look up. He was beating his breast and calling on God, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, what was the meaning of this parable? Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his home justified rather than the other for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Pride and humility. It seems to be a theme in Luke's gospel and, yes, in Jesus' teaching. Deeply embedded in the Eastern Orthodox spiritual tradition is a prayer that many Orthodox use and that has spread throughout the Christian world, and it's known simply as the Jesus Prayer. Perhaps some of you know it, and perhaps some of you use it. It began as a practical way for every Christian to be able to do as St. Paul admonished when he wrote to the Thessalonians, to pray without ceasing. And it is essentially the prayer we hear from the tax collector today. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's a prayer that can just be repeated over and over. That, Jesus says, is the prayer that saved this sinner because in praying it he recognizes his need of God rather than congratulating himself on all his righteous deeds. The Pharisee, striving so hard to do everything just right, fell into a trap that we so easily fall into, often, yes, even in our desire to please God. Now there's one of you out there, you know who you are, who has told me once or maybe twice that she loves it when I make a mistake at the altar or otherwise during the liturgy because it lets her know as if she didn't already that I'm a human. Now I think actually she's happy that I'm the one being reminded that I'm human. And yes, I probably try to hide that fact a little bit too often. Oh, yes, we do, don't we? We work hard to be so good, to do things just right, to the glory of God, of course, as I'm sure our Pharisee today would have argued. But deep in all of our self-justifying and perfectionistic impulses, there lurks that spirit that Jesus saw in the Pharisee. An old Jewish proverb says that pride is the mask we make of our faults. Pride 
is the mask we make of our faults. I remember a teenage boy who had grown up hearing his parents tell him how smart he was, having a heated exchange with those same parents during his adolescence, shouting at them, saying, but I'm smart. He actually used some slightly more colorful language than that. It was a coping mechanism for dealing with all the insecurities that he was feeling, a mask he wore to feel better about things that he wasn't feeling so very good about. Psychologists call this projection, a defense mechanism in which the human ego defends itself against conscious and unconscious impulses or qualities. Who knows the many insecurities of those who boast of their competence, exaggerate their accomplishments, those who insist on justifying themselves even to the extent of making up facts to prove themselves right. But in the parable Jesus tells today, there is a special trap awaiting us in what I'll call spiritual pride. The Pharisee no doubt saw himself as having achieved an exalted place in the spiritual life. <clears throat> After all, he's talking about his spiritual practices, fasting, tithing, things that signal his devotion to God. But he's using them to claim that they made him superior to all the thieves, rogues, adulterers, or yes, even this tax collector. <clears throat> now this can hit pretty close to home even if we can't imagine ourselves saying all those things, can we? But how proud are we, for example, that we, or our church, feed the hungry, shelter the homeless? Do we find ourselves wanting others to know just how much we give to the church or how much we do to support the poor and the marginalized? Or perhaps how much time we spend in meditation and prayer? Spiritual pride can take so many forms. Thomas Merton lived the life of a Trappist monk, one of the most intense forms of spiritual practice a Christian monastic can undertake. He was concerned, perhaps because of his own temptations, about how easy it was to take pride in the rigorous disciplines of the ascetic life. In his book that is titled, No Man is an Island, Merton has this to say. He says, asceticism is utterly useless if it turns us into freaks. The cornerstone of all asceticism, he says, is humility. And Christian humility is, first of all, a matter of supernatural common sense. It teaches us to take ourselves as we are instead of pretending, as pride would have us imagine, that we are something better than we are. If we really know ourselves, we quietly take our proper place in the order designed by God. And so, supernatural humility adds much to our human dignity by integrating us in the society of other human beings and placing us in our right relation to them and to God. Pride, he says, makes us artificial, and humility makes us real. He continues, 
It is supreme humility to see that ordinary life, embraced with perfect faith, can be more saintly and more supernatural than a spectacular, ascetical career. Such humility dares to be ordinary, and that is something beyond the reach of spiritual pride. Pride always longs to be unusual. Humility, not so. Humility finds all its peace in hope, knowing that Christ must come again to elevate and transfigure ordinary things and fill them with his glory. End of quote. Suzanne Guthrie is a wise spiritual teacher whose reflection on the Jesus prayer in her own life is worth sharing this morning. She says, some spiritual practices may involve complicated theologies, rules, dangers, levels of experience. All take for granted a life of service to, the, to others, liturgy, community, fasting, charity, almsgiving, repentance, confession, thanksgiving, and growing in love. But the Jesus prayer, as an ancient practice, creates an atmosphere of humility and longing for God. The prayer draws upon the invocation of the name of Jesus, as old as the church, and reminiscent of God's presence dwelling in the name of the Holy One, as practiced in our Hebrew roots. The prayer invokes deification of becoming God in the way that Irenaeus and Athanasius and other early theologians describe. God became man in order that man might become God. The prayer draws from the theology of kenosis, of self-emptying, just as Jesus emptied himself. You hear overtones, she writes, of two steady companions as you pray the Jesus prayer. Blind Bartimaeus, begging from the roadside, shouts again and again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus calls him, and throwing off his cloak, the beggar makes his way to Jesus and is healed. The other voice is our dear publican from the gospel today who enters the temple to pray, head bowed in misery, beating his breast and murmuring, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You don't have to be a great sinner to love this prayer. Repentance simply means change. I'm willing to change, throw off my cloak, humble myself to see through the chimera my ego makes to obscure my core being. Cyprian Concilio says that when I say, have mercy on me, a sinner, I unite myself with all human beings from the beginning of the world who have experienced separation from God. I realize that as human beings, we are all separated from God, from the source of our being. We are wandering in a world of shadows, mistaking the outward appearance of people and things for the reality. But at all times, something is pressing us to reach out beyond the shadows, to face the reality, the truth, the inner meaning of our lives, and so, finally, to find God, the mystery which enfolds us. So today, we are being invited 
to put aside the masks that we wear, the projections, the impulses to self-justification and pride, and to be real, to face the truth of our humanity, of who we are, warts and all, and in doing so, to find the freedom to live in the spirit of Jesus. Amen.